One more question. Okay. Newsom's voice. Um, the grovel. We've gotten into like Batman territory. It's Christian Bale. Yeah, it's yeah. Christian Bale yeah. Batman territory. Like, where does his hoarseness end up? Like, can it go a step lower? Can we get like full Christian Bale? He probably he probably can. Yeah. Watch him get more and more excited, and I think you'll hear a lot of that. Welcome to the award-nominated Give Me Shelter, yeah. the California Housing Crisis Podcast. How does that sound to you? Man, I just I, I didn't know that was coming, and so you heard my exclamation because I'm just kind of overcome That's right pure shock. Yeah. And awe. <laughs> All of it. Um, I'm Matt Levin, data and housing journalist with Cal Matters. I'm Liam Dillon with the Los Angeles Times. And today on the podcast... A election roundup spectacular. We will be. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just. I was just going to note if we keep having spectaculars, maybe, I know. maybe we're losing some of the luster off the spectacular. Don't get what you're saying. Okay, so we'll just keep. We'll maintain our luster. And it, we'll still be lustrous over I, here. I think I yeah. told you that every time I put spectacular as the title of the podcast, it does not do as well as the other podcast. Huh. So I really should drop it. <laughs> but it is really fun to say. It is. It is fun to say. Yeah. Yeah. On this podcast, we'll be analyzing the results of the election that happened last week um, with great detail, uh, looking at what happened with the four housing initiatives on the ballot, as well as some other takeaways from the election. And we have a fantastic guest for a spectacular guest. Uh, for this fortnight. Who do we have, Liam? So we have Angela Hart, uh, who is a newly minted reporter at Politico, um, used to work at the Sacramento Bee. And while she was there, she was on the trail with Gavin Newsom and has written a lot about housing issues. And we'll be talking with Angela mostly about what a Newsom administration will mean for housing. Before we get into that, a couple plugs. First, let's talk about the award I obliquely referenced earlier. Gimme Shelter was nominated for a Epi Award which is an award given out by editor and publisher. We did not win, but it was an honor to be nominated in the category of, I believe it's podcasts under 1 million unique monthly visitors, which must be in reference to the size of the publication. We lost to the Honolulu Civil Beat, which, you know, kind of going up against... Rats. Yeah. It's kind of like going up against Meryl Streep, right? Exactly. The Honolulu Civil Beat. They, they are a titan in the field. Yes. Uh, but it's cool to be nominated. Yeah, um, it's just it's just two guys talking about housing. Yeah, and here we are droning on and on and on. Nominated for awards. Yeah, how about that? And the epi, obviously, the e in egot, which I know is something in your own personal aspirations. <laughs> Someday. Yes, uh, <laughs> which is why you've been working on the screenplay for your Lebowski property tax break movie. You weren't supposed to tell anyone. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. who would play you in that movie? Uh, Lebowski plays himself. Lebowski plays himself. Who would play me? Um, Liam Neeson. Just be- wait. Just because. Was your thought process? I need another actor named Liam. Was that the? That was the, just the first one popped in my head. Okay. Because you know, people. A lot of times, people would ask how you pronounce my name, and I, I like Liam, like Liam Neeson, the actor. Oh. Yeah. It's a lot of recognition once you say that, and I feel like that would also transfer to the to the to the big screen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you do have a Liam Neeson type presence. Um, That's good. In many ways. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. A couple quick plugs here. This Friday, so we should say we're recording this podcast on Monday, the twelfth. The twelfth. There might be some news that develops, obviously, later in the week. So our apologies if we don't, if we can't see into the future and incorporate that. But this Friday, um, Cal Matters, in conjunction with public radio stations across the state, will be hosting a forum dedicated to housing and homelessness with big city mayors, real big city mayors. My colleague, Laurel Rosenhall, will moderate, and it will feature a panel. Check this out, Liam. Uh, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, Oakland Mayor Libby Schaff, um, San Diego Mayor Kevin Faulkner, and uh, Sacramento Mayor Daryl Steinberg, all on the same panel. It's heavy hitters, man. Yeah, it's it's a big panel. Yeah. So that's... Uh, this Friday in Sacramento. Also, a reminder to rate and review us on iTunes if if you can. That only helps in future submissions to editor and publisher. Help us knock off the Honolulu Civil Beat podcast. All right, um, let's uh, turn to the most popular segment in all of California housing podcastery. It is the avocado of the fortnight. The award-nominated avocado of the fortnight. Uh, our whimsical look, right? 
at a potential or an issue in California housing that is a little strange, but gives some insight into a larger truth. Um, and this avocado of the fortnight takes us to the beautiful beachside city of Encinitas, which is about 20 miles north of San Diego. It's lovely. Have it's you lo- been? Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's I've never really, been. It's a really nice place. Um, just if you want to go north, northern San Diego, it's it's really lovely. Yeah. I was looking up some facts about Encinitas in okay, preparation you, for this avocado. What do you got for us? Home of Richard Dreyfus, according to Wikipedia. Huh. I never saw him there. <laughs> but I, I'll take your word for it. Sounds, lives there. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like a place Richard Dreyfus would live. Yeah. Yeah. A couple other relevant facts about the city of Encinitas before we get into this delicious avocado. A city of about 60,000 people where the medium home value is over a million dollars. That also sounds about right. Yeah, that mm-hmm. does sound about right. Mm-hmm. So, what makes Encinitas special, Liam? Well, I mean, it's a, besides the gorgeous beachfront. I was going to say it's a and ju- Richard Dreyfus, a jewel of northern San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to being um, a jewel, it also has a sort of a uh, ignominious d- distinction in mm. uh, California housing, um, and that is really trying to get that Kaplan GRE sponsorship <laughs> for the pod. <laughs> Encinitas is the only city in the state. Uh, over 5,500 people. So the only sort of real city r- city in the state where there's actually an appreciable number of people that in 50 years has never had a state-approved housing plan. And what? so it's specifically called a housing element. Yes, that's and the so jargony term. Right. Yes. What? What does? Why do we need a housing element in the first place? What's the point? Right. So you've heard us talk a lot of times on the podcast about state housing goals and the the uh, number of ha- homes that need to be built in particular areas to match up with population growth and sort of keep enough houses there in, in theory um, for all the people who want to move here or grow up here, all those sorts of things. And so, practically, what the what the housing uh, plan does is that it requires cities to zone enough land uh, for that um, uh, for those homes. And, and and it also generally involves zoning for apartments, multifamily housing, condos, right? So you can sort of put some pack some more people into smaller spaces, and um, and as well as zoning for low income, exactly, yeah, low income developments, indeed, or housing reserved for low income people, indeed. And so um, these are the you know the cities and regions tell, or the state and regions tell the these cities how many their land needs to be zoned to, to accommodate X number of new homes, yeah. uh, for, at various income levels, yeah. And this process goes on every eight years, yeah. And the cities you know then submit a plan, and then then yeah, they get signed yeah, off yeah. on. Et cetera, et cetera. Yes, and yes. Encinitas, the only one, 50 years, 1967, this Encinitas law first says, passed. And <laughs> shove it. <laughs> Essentially, shove it. Take your state housing rules and shove them. So, and so we've yeah. covered extensively. There are many ways to skirt or kind of disregard or weasel your way out of state housing law. Indeed. This is a very direct. Yeah, we're just not going to comply with this whatsoever. Right, a shoving, as I as I sort of put it a yes. moment ago. It's yeah. hard to see people shove in a podcast. <laughs> I'm just, I was trying to pantomime the shoving, yes. but yes, that's indeed what's going yes. on. Yeah. Liam Dillon, also great pantomimer, <laughs> one of your many skills. <laughs> so not being in compliance with state law, somewhat of a problem. But only somewhat. But only somewhat. Only somewhat of a problem. So why are we bringing this up now is because there was news in this area. Yes. So tell us what happened. Well, let, let's take a one step back. So yeah. uh, two years ago, there was an initiative on the ballot in Encinitas um, to approve a housing element. You know, we're not in compliance with state law. We should probably be in compliance with state law before somebody sues us. Let's approve this housing element. And voters said, to hell with it. We've right. done this for 50 years. We're not going to do this. They got sued by a local developers association and a local tenants organization on the same side of this issue. A local judge said, okay, I'm hearing these lawsuits. Um, sure looks like this is a problem here. This is pretty flagrantly in disregard of state law. But the mayor of Encinitas and other city officials said, wait, wait, wait. Let's give the voters another try. We're going to put another initiative on the ballot in November of 2018. That's a little different from what we did in 2016, might be a little bit more scaled down, and they're going to approve that so these people don't have to sue us. And so the judge said, okay, we'll let you have this vote, and then hopefully that's all get that all gets taken care of. And the election happened last week, and what happened, Liam? Didn't pass. No. Fail. No. Again. Yeah. Um, a relatively narrow margin, only failed by about six points. Still votes to be counted, I'm assuming. <laughs> 
But nevertheless, it failed. So the city of Encinitas remains without any type of basic state-approved housing plan, which means the lawsuits will proceed. Yes. And the mayor was not super happy about that. Do you want to read this quote sure, from the mayor? Sure, this is from Encinitas Mayor Catherine Blakespear. Yes. We'll see what the judge says. This is what she said Wednesday morning. We put two years of effort in this plan. Where we go from here, I don't know. The city is not going to be given a pass to comply with state law indefinitely. Although... <laughs> it's been 50 years. <laughs> it's pretty indefinite. Okay, let's move to the... Well, ha- we're moving to housing was on the ballot. So we're, we're going to reserve most of our discussion about Newsom's election and uh, his specific housing plan for Angela because she knows a lot about this issue. And we've covered a lot of that extensively in previous podcasts, and there hasn't been a ton in the way of new details from Newsom. It's been less than a week since his election. So, um, so we're going to focus mostly on the initiatives here, which means we will be yet again talking about Prop 10 the initiative that would have allowed cities to expand rent control throughout California, which has been the subject of multiple episodes of Gimme Shelter. Liam, the the question that I kept getting the most from other media outlets, mostly who had me do, you know, a little dog and pony show after Mm -hmm. Tuesday was, was this surprising? And my response was yes and no. Good hedge. I would have hedged too. Always hedging. Yeah. Always be hedging. Mm -hmm. Glenn Gary, Glenn Levin. Oh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Liam. You like that? Yeah, it's good. Yes, always be hedging. (laughs) Why is it not surprising? Well, because the polling showed that this thing was never very popular. Tanking. In fact, um, this this initiative lost about 60-40. Right. That outperformed. That was higher than I was expecting based off some of the more recent polls that we saw, right? Yeah, it's about right. I mean- 20-point loss, or yeah, is extremely large. Yeah, I'm not downplaying how big of a margin that is, but it could have been worse looking at some of the polling leading up to— Could have been worse, I suppose, yeah. Yes, it was pretty bad. I mean, it was the worst showing of any 11 ballot measures. Exactly. Yeah. So in that sense, unsurprising. This is something that we were expecting for literally months, basically, ever since the first public polling came out late summer. It was surprising because— and I want to get your take on this. If someone would have came to me in January when— Or even this, July. Or even in July. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And said, Prop 10 is going to lose by 20 points, I would say, I don't think that's right. That sounds like way too big a margin. If you would have told me what a loss, fine. Yeah. But t- a 20-point margin sounds way too big. You know, yeah, I'm with you. you. I'm, I'm with yeah. you 100%. I mean, I think, you know, if you can't pass an expansion of rent control during a historic housing crisis where, you know, you have all these horror stories of renters being tossed on the street and facing huge pressures and such of things, um, you know, particularly in, even in an election that, that had a, a much turn, larger turnout for the left than we would have otherwise yes. expected, yes. right? Yes, there uh, was a blue wave. There was a blue wave, absolutely, especially in California. Yes. And uh, it just, you know, nothing, man. Um, really, really surprising that um, um, it, the traction wasn't there. And not just even in statewide. I mean, there were two local measures, too, in Santa Cruz and National City. That's a small community just south San of Diego. San Diego. And they both failed by pretty overwhelming margins as well. Yeah. And so just not not a thing that's um, catching the attention of people. And let's just go a little deeper into the autopsy here. Yeah. There were only two counties in all of California where Prop 10 garnered more than 50% of the vote. San Francisco County and Alameda County, where Oakland is, right across the bay, the East Bay. Um, In no other county did Prop 10 get more than 50% of the vote, including, I think, inauspiciously, Sacramento County, where there is going to be a rent control initiative on the ballot in 2020. Caveat, Sacramento County, there's a lot of suburbs in Sacramento County. The rent control initiative is just for the city of Sacramento. It's a different thing. But still, if you're pushing for rent control in Sacramento, you would have hoped Prop 10 would have fared better in Sacramento County. And I I haven't dug into the local results yet, um, but, you know, that's 
it, it, it can't feel good. It can't feel good for rent control advocates here locally. Also in Los Angeles, too. Yes. Los Angeles County get, getting getting beat there. I mean, yes. and, and even um, based on the, what I, when I was talking to some colleagues who were examining it last week, I asked about L.A. City, and uh, they told me it was not it had not gotten over 50% there either. Yeah. Um, now, again, we, you know, these some of these numbers could have changed in the interim as we're continuing mm-hmm. to, to count votes. But um, really, again, uh, not enough support really anywhere for people to take away and say, here's a place where we can really make some inroads because it just wasn't there. Yeah. And the the Sacramento County margin was substantially yeah. no. Yeah. Substantially no. So, Liam, do you think these results were inevitable or do you think that there were mistakes made on the Yes on 10 campaign side that led to this margin? Yeah, I think it became increasingly clear that this uh, initiative, which was, you know, as I referred to, and I stole this uh, take, um, sort of this everything and nothing at the same time um, for Prop 10. It was everything yes, in you that. you stole that from Hayes Davenport yes, on a previous podcast. So uh, yes. uh, here I am, a thief. Um, but but from this take, um, from this take, I, I think he's, I was absolutely correct. I mean, uh, you could, you could, and you saw this in the messaging at the advertising that the, the no side used, mm-hmm. which was um, you could tell tenants, this is not going to help you immediately. Yeah. And, and that being, you know, true, right? And you could also tell homeowners, they're going to come after your investment, right? Single family homeowners, they're going to come after yeah. your investment property. And that, that couldn't be denied either. So, you, so you, know? you think their biggest mistake was not structuring the original initiative beyond a simple repeal of Costa Hawkins? Because people don't know what Costa Hawkins is. That has to be explained. You vote, you're then voting yes to repeal something, which yeah. I think also help, helped tank the, the Prop 6 gas tax measure. And so there's just, it was just too complicated. And yes. it's weird that it's complicated when it's just repealing a law, right? It, in some ways, it's the simplest thing. But this is, again, going back to everything and nothing, right? You yeah. create a situation where there's so much uncertainty. You know you're going to be outspent. Not that they didn't have any money. I mean, I do want to put, you know, two points. I mean, $25 million is- It's is not insignificant. Not insignificant. And, and ballot measure campaigns have been won with that amount of money. So yes. it's not like they were poor, number one. Yes. Uh, and, you know, and, um, and, and, and number two- um, No, that's, yeah. that's fine. So, yeah. so just, I just want to push back on yeah. that a little bit, yeah. right? So if they had come up with a- ballot measure that exempted single family homes right right yeah. from from rent control right, right. Um, that would have taken a huge arrow out of the no on 10 folks argument right especially considering that the electorate is you know basically two-thirds little less homeowners yeah. right? right right but then you're exempting single family homes sure. from rent control sure. there are a ton of renters in single family homes yeah so if you want to affect real change you know is is that really a legitimate criticism? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, because you gotta you gotta win. Yeah. And and I I I don't think and I also think that the lion's share of people things that people are concerned about with when it comes to single family homes and rent yeah. control is not the um, guy or couple or you know, woman who owns a investment property, you know, two investment properties. No, it's, it's, a, it's Blackstone. Know, it's a corporate entity. It's a corporate yes. entity, right? Yes. And so, you know, exemptions in family homes, except for, you know, people who own more than five of them or more than 10 of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, that's the way to do it. We've talked a lot of, you've mentioned before, you know, putting in a new, new construction exemption in there yes. that would have, um, that would have, um, uh, you know, take another quiver or arrow out of the quiver, right, of the opponents. Yeah. And so you can, you know, um, these things weren't weren't done. Did I say quiver out of the arrow earlier? No, I think I just did. Okay. But you said arrow out of the quiver, I think. Good. I mean, that's what you should say. Yes. That's the accurate uh, cliche yeah, metaphor. Yeah, I know yeah. how a bow and arrow works, <laughs> Liam. <laughs> so, yeah. And thanks for calling it cliche right. and then butchering the, <laughs> butchering the cliche in front of me. So... Anyway, so, so let's yeah, continue. yeah. So again, I think I think that I think the structure was problematic. Um, yeah, and and that's a real issue. Yes. Yeah. You know, I basically wrote an obit for this thing a, a couple days before the election because the polling was so bad. I recommend people check out that story about all the reasons Prop Ten would did end up failing. You know, the, the messaging which did not mention the words rent control explicitly. I talked to a media consultant with the Yes on 10 campaign, a famous one, Joe Trippi, mm. veteran of the Howard Dean and Jerry Brown campaigns. And he, I raised that issue to him. I was like, you know, people are saying you should have said rent control more in your uh, advertising. And his response was like, yeah, I don't argue with that. So- <laughs> All right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I also want to mention, you know, that I had been told by sources that there were some issues with the timing of this in terms of everybody on the Yes on 10 side that could have been on board getting on board. So maybe if there had been a longer run up in, in the Yes on 10 planning, maybe maybe that would have helped uh, more organizations come on the Yes on 10 campaign side. Well, look, I mean, I think, and this is no secret, you know, AIDS Healthcare Foundation, which is the, the yes. group that bankrolled this, spent $23 million of the roughly 25 that they raised for this. It's a hugely controversial organization, yes. in, not just in housing policy, but in many other policies up and down the state, you know, have, have lost now four big ballot measures in California, yes. state and local, um, you know, they're, and, and so, I mean, you know, um, there are a lot of tenant groups or affordable housing groups that were not on the side of them when they were pushing a slow growth measure in L.A. just mm-hmm. last year. And so, you know, to, to kind of jump on board with, the, with, you know, and have these folks all together and have a group that that is not necessarily a pure tenant group um, taking the lead and taking the lead, of course, because they're the ones bankrolling it. Uh, you know, I, I you know, I think that coalition takes time to, to build and, and takes time for people to feel comfortable with it. Yeah. And I, I think the. The real question is, if the financing is not coming from the AIDS Health Care Foundation, if it's not coming from Michael Weinstein, the leader of the AIDS Health Care Foundation, where does the fi- financing for some type of statewide rent control initiative come from? And there, there is not a good answer to that question. And that's the reason why this has not really been attacked in any previously, for, previously yes. since Costa Hawkins passed in the mid-90s. Right? Yes. So, yeah. so even if you have your issues with Michael Weinstein, even if you have your issues with the AIDS Health Care Foundation— that money ain't ain't coming from another source anytime in the future. It it you know it's not going to present itself magically. No. So it's kind of get on board or you know if you don't, then you're not doing it. Yeah, yep. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's let's spin this forward. Where does the debate on the repeal of Costa Hawkins and statewide rent control? Uh, where does that go forward? So the tenant groups in the aftermath of this have said sort of two things that they were looking forward to or are positive about this. One is that, you know, rent control is now a thing. It didn't necessarily have to be a thing prior to this. People, more people know what cost Dawkins is now than they did before. That's certainly true. Yes. Uh, and so bringing this issue to the forefront of the state's housing debate is certainly a thing that happened. Second is they're now putting their hopes, uh, or many are, in the new governor who has talked about, um, you know, bringing a compromise or some sort of solution to this that uh, that would, uh, uh, you know, amend or, or otherwise change Costa Hawkins rather than simply repealing it, um, you know, potentially as part of a larger discussion. Uh, but again, you know, Gavin Newsom, the new governor, uh, the incoming governor, was opposed to Prop 10 and is, but has also sort of committed to doing something about this. Yes. And so we have some tape from your great colleague. Phil um, Willon. Phil Willon. Yeah. But the question was asked by my great colleague, Ben Christopher. Sounds like we have great colleagues. Yes, we do. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'd like to see that there, I would, I would hope we can compromise on that. I know they want to come back with another ballot initiative. I think they want to assess the results of this, this uh, of what happened 24 hours ago before they do that. But I, I, uh, I think there is a compromise. Uh, I'll, I will not lay out the details here today. Uh, that will almost guarantee there'll be no compromise if I did that. Uh, but I express a real commitment, not a passing interest, to help lead in that effort. So that echoes previous comments that Newsom made leading up to the election uh, on Prop 10. What do you make of it, Liam? I This is uh, about what I expected. You know, um, I think uh, he's, you know, sort of taking a little bit hands off um, approach right now. Just kind of see, you know, he, he definitely, again, committed to doing something about this, um, but also, you know, said... Um, there was, nothing, there was nothing new that he was going to – and, and I, I, think, I think he'll throw some people in a room. But if they can't get anywhere, then I don't think he – it didn't sound like to me that that was a, a – something that he would take on imme- – you know, let, me, let me back up a little bit. You, you can do something small on housing. You can do something big on housing. Right. And it doesn't seem to me like he's going to say rent control or nothing. This is the one thing I'm going to deal with. I I take this as being he wants to make the rent control conversation part of anything larger that he wants to do on the entire housing conversation. Uh, let's talk about what Michael Weinstein told you about uh, Governor-elect Newsom in, in the aftermath of Prop 10. Yeah. So I spoke with with Weinstein uh, Tuesday night when after the race was called both for Newsom and for for against Prop 10. And, you know, just recall as as backup, you know, listeners to our podcast know that uh, a Weinstein, um, uh, you know, official, an AIDS healthcare official, Damien Goodman, was on here talking and basically 
basically was pretty unkind words yes. uh, towards Newsom in general and also towards his ability to address this issue. Yes, it uh, basically said that Newsom was bought and paid for by landlords. Not basically, said that um, directly. And and so I asked Weinstein, you know, okay, so is this over now? And you're going, you know, he's Weinstein talked before about trying to do it again, another ballot measure for 2020, et cetera. And so Weinstein was a little bit softer. I mean, he said, no, you know, uh, the governor has, a new governor is committed to working on this issue and we'll take him at his word. And we'd like to see how that happens before we make a decision about uh, what we're going to do going forward. So something that Newsom did reference in those comments was the negotiations that preceded preceded the election on Prop 10 between uh, landlords and tenants groups that really didn't go anywhere, basically starting all the way back in January when this was considered by the, the legislature. I talked to a source that was close to those negotiations and asked straight up, are you in a better or worse position than you were six, seven, eight months ago? And that source said, well, people are talking about this a lot, which is good for us, but no. So a source from the tenant side. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I, I first of all, I would agree. Um, I think when you destroy someone by 20 points, that makes you in a much stronger position. And in fact, that was what the Apartment Association told me. I did a story published on uh, on Thursday about um, sort of what, what comes next on rent control. And I talked, spoke with Deb Carlton, another previous podcast guest mm-hmm. who is a senior vice president of the Apartment Association. And she told me, um, you know, quote, when a measure loses by double digits, that's such a strong message. Certainly any changes to rent control or cost tokens in general after this, uh, in general, be, will be a heavy lift after this. And then specifically, you know, we spoke about her comments that she made uh, in January. She was on the panel as we were discussing in the legislative committee about the potential of repealing Costa Hawkins. Mm -hmm. And she she said, sort of expressed for the first time, the Department Association would be open to changing the date, right? So remember under Costa Hawkins, you can't put um, uh, rent control on buildings that were uh, constructed after 1995, right? Or earlier in some other cases like LA and San Francisco. Um, She expressed openness to that date being a rolling date. And that's sort of seen as, in some ways, the easiest, if you will, compromise to deal with um, rent control issues. But I asked her about that, and she said, yeah, we're less likely to do it. Um, and you can understand why they would take that perspective, given the resounding victory that they had uh, uh, on Election Day. Yes. If there isn't much incentive for landlords to come to the negotiating table, what what would that compromise even look like? I, I think their incentive comes with other things that Newsom may want to be able to do um, on the housing side, whether that's sort of sparing construction, uh, measures that would spur construction. I mean, I don't see in the abstract a rent control uh, one-off being a doable thing that would in any way satisfy tenants or- um, well, or, but the, This gets yeah. back to the question that we've talked about before, yeah. which I've Neither of us have gotten an answer, right. a satisfactory answer is what yeah. specific to the landlords are they going to get from this? Because new housing construction, sure, they're sure. a fan of, sure. but are they a fan enough to the point to compromise on their rental income? Like, no, eh. I, you, you know, you're right. You're right. I mean, uh, uh, so I don't know. I mean, they're, they are part so, of a larger group that um, in, tends to include the realtors yes. uh, and, and developers. And developers. And so they're ten, it's kind of like a triumvirate. Um, and and, and mm. they, you know, they work on other things, um, a lot of policy together. And so maybe you they're satisfied that way. But I, again, I, you, you are right. I mean, just more housing construction doesn't necessarily make a ton of sense of or things that landlords in and of themselves would, would, uh, would want. So one thing to throw out there, um, if you're playing the very, very long game from the landlord's perspective, maybe something like an anti-rent gouging policy. So something along the lines of what the Turner Center, the Berkeley think tank that specializes in in, uh, housing policy, what they suggested as a quote-unquote compromise to rent control, which really wasn't rent control, but was... Anti rent contr- anti rent gouging, which is basically uh, inflation plus about five percentage points. Um, I could see the landlords from a very long game perspective saying, 
okay, we'll do that, and then we'll say we did something on this and put it to bed. Well, and not only that, I think that allows you to sort of say that you've done something about the real horror stories yes. that you see that, that the landlords tell us over and over again, well, this isn't us. It's a one-off guy who's done this horrible thing, right? Yes. We don't agree with that either. And so, you know, you have that, then maybe you can ward off against that. Again, these local measures, we haven't mentioned this, local measures are not going away. Uh, actually, we did mention this with respect to the city of Sacramento. Yes. And so I, I there will be more local fights, and these local fights tend to be pitched battles um, and, and no matter what. And, and so, you know, to take this off the table or to turn down the temperature a little bit is maybe something you can get. I don't know. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I, I'm not so sure about that. And then yeah. the real question is whether Michael Weinstein and the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, whether that type of compromise is satisfactory to them. Exactly. And my hunch would be based off of what we saw from the negotiations earlier this year. Nah, I don't know. Right. I don't know. Even despite the fact that they lost by 20 points here. Yep. So, okay. Let's move on to a couple other initiatives, uh, housing-related on the ballot. Let's talk about what happened with Prop 5. Uh, also a shellacking. Uh, so this was a uh, a measure that put forward by the California Association of Realtors to allow those 55 and older extend their Prop 13 tax breaks when they move. Uh, did not do well. Um, uh, only uh, 41%. Uh, yes side, so marginally better than Prop 10 did, uh, but not that much better. Also defeated in every single California county except one. And do you know what that county is? I don't, and I purposely did not look this up prior uh, you to— You totally looked it I up. Did not, I did, did not. You did. You totally looked I did, it up. I did not. Go ahead. Pretend, pretend you don't know what the answer is and then say what the answer is. What was the one county that voted for Prop 5 that would have expanded Prop 13 tax breaks for uh, Californians 55 and older? San Bernardino. No. Decent guess or not? Not a good guess. Yeah, it's an okay guess. It's okay. an okay guess. Yeah. You know, there's been a lot of talk in the media about how Orange County isn't the same Orange County. Wow. Except. Except maybe on this one. <laughs> Except maybe on this one. You know, I was go- actually or- going I was gonna guess Orange County, but I thought that was too on the nose. Even with yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, it is very on the nose. Yeah. Even with the blue wave right. that was the bluest and waviest mm-hmm. in those competitive congressional districts in Orange County, a majority of voters there voted for Prop 5. Wow. Yeah. little interesting nugget there. Mm-hmm. Let's just rapid fire some quick takeaways here from me and you on Prop 5. My biggest takeaway is that the realtors push this measure with one arm tied behind their back. Well, they, they tied it themselves. They tied it themselves. Yeah, right, yes, right. yes. This was not a, a, a full-throated effort from the realtors to get this passed, likely because the internal – I don't have any prior knowledge of this, but right. likely because the internal pulling on this early probably wasn't so great. Right. That would be my guess. Right. Uh, why? Why didn't they push more money into it besides the poor internal polling? One, they're putting an initiative on the 2020 ballot, which we've talked about at length, that would do many of – that would do the same thing as this initiative, but would mitigate some of the fiscal impact to local governments, which was kind of the – the uh, one of the biggest problems, yes, uh, that, that this, with this yeah. that this mm-hmm. initiative had, mm-hmm. and two, they might be able to get a deal out of the legislature, right? Maybe part of this broader tax reform package yeah. that uh, Governor Elect Newsom has been talking about. I have one other takeaway from this, but I think you're probably going to have it. So go ahead. No, uh, no, keep, keep, keep taking away. Sure, I think it's notable that a Prop 13 expansion lost in previous decades. We have seen Prop 13 expansions expanding. Do well at the yeah. do well at the ballot box. Right. This is the reason uh, Jeff Bridges gets to pay very very low property taxes on the property that he inherited from his parents. Correct. That was because of an initiative that wasn't Prop 13, but built upon Prop 13. So it is noteworthy in that sense. You know, this thing that would make property taxes cheaper for people lost. And indeed, and that's part of a you could argue a part of a broader thing when the the gas tax um, repeal um, also lost. I mean, there's a tax. I don't, you don't uh, like it? No, I, mean, I don't. I think they're I think they're different things. I really, really? do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Gas I, tax affects everybody. This this is people who are 55 and older. Yeah, but I mean, I think put on by a special interest group. Sure, but the wave of the uh, sort of anti-tax. I mean, you know, again, the Prop 13 originally was a tax revolt. Right. Yeah. All right. Fine. You know, <laughs> it's okay if we disagree. Yeah, I don't. But I don't love this take, so I'll I'll let it go. <laughs> I'll let it go. For the record, you don't love your own take. Right. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Let's move on to props one and two. 
Uh, Liam, why don't you give us the, the numbers and then your takeaways from those? So they both passed. Uh, Prop 1, the $4 billion uh, low-income housing bond, a billion of that reserved for veterans' home loans, uh, 55% yes. Prop 2, the uh, homeless housing bond uh, helped build supportive housing, $2 billion, 62% yes. A really yes. stirring approval for that one. Yes, it yes. was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and particular analytical insights from these that jump out at you. Um, you know, um, I, I mean, it's it's a, not really. I mean, it's a, it's a drop in the bucket in terms of the funding that's actually needed to make yeah. a meaningful difference. But it is also meaningful. I think you know, um, this money had run out um, on the affordable housing side. Uh, the last bond was passed over a decade ago. On the homeless housing side, this was a new idea to use money from a millionaire's income tax, a middle income tax, on millionaires to try to help uh, 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 in this area. And so it's uh, money that they had been counting on for a while, and now they finally have the formal approval to do it. Also interesting to note that other affordable housing bonds at the local level, which we might talk about a little bit later on, failed. Yeah. You saw one fail in Santa Rosa. You saw one fail in San Jose. Um, one did pass in Berkeley. Yeah. But I, I think there is something, if the money is specifically pegged towards homelessness, I think that appears to better. play a little better right. than just affordable housing writ large. Yeah. So and also a lot of the local measures are two thirds measures. Yes, and, and that's you know I mean even this not, not even Prop Two got two thirds yes. of, uh, of of statewide voters. And so yes. when you have that, that's super, a very good that point. super majority threshold, it's very hard to pass these sorts that's, of things. That's a very good point. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's talk about the legislature really quickly. So we have uh, these two-thirds supermajorities now in both houses um, that we alluded to last time, and again, what that allows. Um, the Democrats do, such, uh, if they so choose, would be to pass taxes um, yep. and put measures in the ballot without any support from the um, opposing party. In practice, that hasn't really happened uh, in recent years. Uh, there's been some defections on both sides. Uh, but now that option is there. And I think particularly in the assembly, man, I mean, it's an overwhelming. We could come in close 58, 59 seats out of 80. And so a real strong margin now in the assembly with a lot of leeway to to do these sorts of things, even if you do have some Democrats who are in particularly tough seats holding off. Speaking of Democrats in particularly tough seats, I think this has been woefully undercovered. Um, Carl DeMaio, personal friend of Liam's, <laughs> um, a uh, talk radio host in San Diego. Yes, uh, conservative talk radio host in San Diego. Yeah. Big proponent of Prop 6, repealing the gas tax. Right. But probably more relevantly for, for the future of the legislature was the driving force behind the recall of Senator Josh Newman in Orange County. For his vote on the gas tax. For his vote on the gas tax, Correct. yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I forget whether it was it was election night, whether it was before or afterwards, but he said that we are going to try to recall more Democratic legislatures yeah. and laid out specifically Anthony Portantino, yeah. a Democrat from the San Fernando Valley, and right. then one other whose name is escaping me at the moment. Right. That is in the minds of moderate Democrats in swing districts. It can't sure. not be. Sure. So yeah. th- that speaks, that is a kind of fresh element to the difficulty of a two-thirds vote. People remember what happened to Newman. Right. You know, again, we, we bring up the supermajority because it is important. I think it gets, like, overplayed and underplayed, you know? Um, I think it is a real thing. Some people yeah. say it doesn't mean anything at all. I think that's, that take is wrong. Yes. Uh, but to, also to think that there's going to be taxes flying all over the place now um, is also is not a thing that's going to occur. <laughs> and there for those, you know— who couldn't be in the studio, Liam, pantomiming flying taxes yes, was, was a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. Uh, I want a pantomime kick this week. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, let's very quickly talk about Newsom and his housing plan. We're going to launch much more into detail with this with uh, our guest, uh, Politico's Angela Hart. Yeah. Well, what, what, have, what have we yet to say about Newsom and his housing plan and what's going to happen next year? So, um, you know, not too much. I mean, I think yeah. the benefit of him for him uh, has and running a campaign that he had against a, uh, an opponent he, whose name he barely, if at all, mentioned is that he didn't really have to campaign against him personally, and as a result, didn't really have to lay out a bunch of you know specifics on what he wanted 
to do. And also prioritization. And we'll be seeing that more now, you know, what you're going to do first, whether you're going to package all of these sort of things together, whether you're going to do one-offs um, with respect to, say, zoning or with respect to rent control or whatever, whether that's part of a larger discussion. Are we going to have more bonds? Are we going to raise money another way? Are we going to even talk about money at all when it's two-thirds vote? All these sorts of things that sooner or later, we're going to, ha- we're going to have to start seeing where he's going to throw his weight around. Do you think there's going to be a housing package next year? I think yes. Okay. I think there'll be a collection of legislation. Whether or not it gets all passed, I think um, a lot of it depends on, on, I think, Newsom's priorities. Okay. That's my take. Okay. And with that, let's talk with Politico's Angela Hart. We're here with Angela Hart, who's a reporter for Politico California. Uh, Angela, thank you so much for joining us. Yep. Happy to be here. So uh, your former life, you were a reporter at the Sacramento Bee, uh, and you spent a lot of time with Gavin Newsom when he was running for governor. Yes. uh, Including some time with him in the Tenderloin, um, talking a lot about housing and homelessness. So what was that like? Yeah, so we, it was very interesting. Uh, I think the thing that stood out to me the most is how many people knew him. Um, Mm. People still referred to him while we were walking up and down the streets of the Tenderloin as the mayor. Mm. Um, At one point, a guy in a water truck, you know, got out of it, pulled over in the, in the middle of the road and, and got out and ran over to us and wanted to shake his hand. Um, homeless people, you know, got up from from the sides of the street to come over and, and, and talk to him, complain to him, um, thank him, give him gruff. Um, the point is that, you know, he was very recognizable and well-known, um, took a lot of heat, but also, you know, um, people had a lot of um, thank yous to dole out to him. And I think what it shows is that Newsom really did spend a lot of time in that neighborhood when he was mayor. And um, what and what they told me, what some of the people he worked with at the time told me, that that really pissed him off. They didn't like that Newsom would um, regularly, um, when he was mayor, go for a walk in the South of Market neighborhood or go for a walk through the Tenderloin and... Um, just talk to um, people who were on the side of the street, who were maybe shooting up, who had needs. Why did it piss him off? Because, you know, he would go unannounced, kind of, you know. So I'm sorry, like so, an entourage So, like, upsetting, him, like, like, advocates like, like or... city workers? No, or like, or... like, it was unsafe, perhaps. Like, oh. he would just, it, you know, he wasn't, uh, it wasn't, yeah. it was unplanned. Yeah. Um, you know, he didn't have, it wasn't, like, today you'll see Mayor London Breed, um, even Newsom, sort of these scripted events where they bring yeah, reporters right. and you'll see the, these photos of people doing these walks up and down the streets of the TL. That is something that Newsom coined and created. Is the TL the Tenderloin? The TL is the Tenderloin, right. yeah. yeah. And that's something yeah, Newsom kind right of... Uh, <laughs> that's something Newsom started when he was mayor and it's mm. become now... I mean, you can just see that... And I saw those pictures of Mayor Breed doing the same thing. I mean, it's something that Newsom created and um, I think... I think this homelessness crisis that has gripped California, the overall housing affordability crisis is something that is deeply personal to Newsom. I think that's why mm. he likes to go and spend time with um, you know people in his city. And I think it's why we saw last week um, his first public appearance since he was elected in the Tenderloin um, and at St. Anthony's, which is in the heart of the Tenderloin, and um, provide shelter for homeless people. So it's very interesting. What, what was he kind of personally like during those interactions, especially with people experiencing homelessness, right? Because he's this he's always rich guy polished, from right. Marin with yeah. the perfect hair right. that my mom is really attracted to. He's got his little, you know, ba-da-ba, shake and clap and, hey, good to see you. Hey, how are you? Um, that he carries with him everywhere. But, um, you know, one at one moment, this woman um, stopped us and sang to him about, you know, how hard it is to live in San Francisco. And um, he just seems like he's in his element. He uh, um, uh. he still wore his crisp white shirt, I believe, and he still is... Two open buttons. A couple open buttons, and he's still got the, you know, the, the, sh- the flashy smile. But, you know, you can tell that he... That's where he... I mean, you can... Like, an element. He's in his element there. And uh. I think it grounds him in a way. So what do you think he learn from those experiences and how do you think that 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 informs what he wants to do on housing and homelessness issues i think 
uh, you, when you're in charge of a state as big as California with problems so big and so many interest groups trying to clamor for your attention and, you know, pull you and push you in different, you know, views and take certain positions on things. I think he, again, it's going back to what informed him as a politician, as a policymaker in San Francisco, which, you know, really is, it's kind of overused, but it's true, ground zero of the housing crisis. I mean, you know, highest rents in the nation, right? I mean, um, the we're seeing it as a as a testing place for things like Senator Weiner's 827 with density. Something else that Newsom has is starting to talk more and more about. We heard him last week saying, uh, "quote You're going to hear me talk a lot. You're going to hear a lot more about housing and transportation." Um, right. So I yeah. think we can expect a 827 2.0 coming forward. So so what so what do you think his attitude would be on? on 827 2.0 based off of like your interactions with him before it's right because frust- he's, he's I mean, kind of been lukewarm right. and- it's frustrating to me as a reporter because you, he talks a lot about density and housing near transportation yet he you know will not come forward with a firm position on it i think you know maybe we can attribute that to you know him not not wanting to him being a candidate being in campaign mode yeah and um i think that he uh, a few of his campaign events, including one of the kickoffs for his bus tours that he launched, um, flanked um, on one side of him was Senator Weiner. I think that we can we should read into that. I think that there is going to be, I mean, as you well know, Weiner has talked about bringing back something like 827. So I think we should expect a strong partnership in those two. And uh, I think that maybe... Um, there's, you know, there's a lot more coming on that front. Yeah, for the the one percent of our listenership that doesn't know what SBA 27 is, that was the bill that would have dramatically um, upzoned around public transit, taking some zoning authority away from cities. That was very controversial last year. Right. So, um, you know, you're dealing with a lot. With Newsom has talked not just about he's an extremely ambitious housing plan, as we sort of talked a lot about, um, but extremely ambitious plans in a lot of places, in, in health care, um, in early childhood education, or things that continue to come up. Um, where do you think housing and homelessness sort of rank for him in the priority list, um, especially given those other two things, other two large things that he wants to do? I think that um, I, I feel comfortable saying that they're number one in his broader agenda. I think that mm. he, um, rightfully so, is going to be called the healthcare governor because he has made healthcare, universal healthcare, such a um, pitch, such a com- core component of his broader agenda. Yeah. But I think that in his mind and, you know, when he's pressed on this by me and other reporters, he will say that you can't have the conversation about any of the other priorities if you don't first talk about inequality and income inequality. And the root of that is housing, he would say. And um, and it's also number one on every on the mind of every voter in California. I don't think that's a, a long shot. And so he understands that. I think he gets it. And uh, I think he does have a mandate on um, on doing something on housing. Now, the question is, how much can you as even as the you know chief executive of California really do? And so that's where you sort of start to hear him pulling back a little bit and right. saying that yeah. there's a big role for um private industry for nonprofits and federal he, government in particular with it, homelessness exactly he talks about that yeah well homelessness that's another right. story right. i mean homelessness he wants to do this interagency council right. he wants to appoint and he is i think close to appointing a homelessness czar yeah yeah and so i mean that's different he wants to do this whole regional approach and that is um that if you talk to anybody in the nonprofit homelessness services world i mean they applaud him for that and they are very excited about what that's going to look like i think the details remain to be seen yeah but um on housing i think he is pulling back in a way that um that manages expect what the public expectations for him will be um but i do think like on healthcare, he has set a um a mandate for himself and yeah. i think it's going to be up to us to hold him accountable yeah. Yeah. so yeah. to sorry to Two, two, two thoughts on that. Uh, one, you know, if you were going to manage expectations, um, promising the most ambitious building program in the history of the state um, is 
you know, I don't know how that's managing expectations, right? I mean, you get 500,000 new homes a year, you know, for seven years. I mean, just that that's a huge number. I mean, the source of where he got that number from, I think is, I think the, the point is that he wants to set these quote unquote audacious goals. Let's right. add that to the dictionary of Gavin Newsom. He wants to set these audacious goals. Big and hairy audacious Big goals. and hairy audacious goals. And, you know, his point, again, when I've Pressed him repeatedly on this. Let me just interject for a second. He says big and hairy. He does. Yes. It's not just me ad living big and hairy for yeah. no reason. Pretty often. It's, <laughs> it's Newsom saying he's a fan of big hairy audacious goals. So sorry it's, to interrupt. No, no. It's a, yeah, no I'm it's just. Good. I don't want to get blamed. Our, for our it. listeners are going to want to know. So thank you. Yeah. Keep, sorry. Yeah. It's not yeah. the. It's not that he thinks he'll meet them or that he even you know has set these this this specific strategy to meet them it's that he set the goal and his whole point is you have to set these goals you want to be ambitious and you want to you want to be um yeah you want to be audacious out the gate and so i think that's one reason why we saw him um actively campaigning or at least behind the scenes campaigning against um uh, Proposition 10, the the one that would have allowed local governments to expand rent control across yeah. California, and you know he talked about that again last week at his um, at his event in San Francisco, and again alluded to this deal, this compromise that um, he is said he's working on. He said he's actively having conversations on this. He wouldn't provide details, saying that that would stymie any negotiations, but. Yeah. Um, he did say that the quote unquote broad contours, I think that's the term he used, yeah, broad contours, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could find clues to that in what um, Assemblyman Bloom and others were talking about last year. Um, I talked to Bloom's office this morning and 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 they didn't have anything more to say except the fact that Bloom is ready to come to the table, ready to knock on the door of Newsom as soon as he is in office to reach some kind of compromise, what that looks yeah. like. You know, rolling rent control, adjusting that year, uh, right. you know, remains to be seen. Yeah. Do, so, go ahead. Uh, do you think it gets rolled into a bigger housing package? No, you think you think it's separately kind of... I don't think there's going to be a housing package. You don't think there's going to be a housing package next no. year? Interesting. Why? Well, Newsom has pushed back on that idea that it's one plan, it's one strategy. He pushed back on it again last week. Huh. Um, and a, in other instances with me, he's pushed back on this having a, a you know, this baked, you know, plan that is going to address the housing crisis. I think we're going to see a rush by Democratic lawmakers, Assemblyman Chu, um, Wiener, others yeah. pushing for some of the things that they pushed for in the past. And I think that Newsom is going to be really focusing on supply and demand. He thinks that's the number one issue. And I think he sees it um, as this ice block that you slowly chip away at. I don't. I think that if you come up with one package, you're going to see a lot of the criticism we saw with the um, 2017 health care package that it didn't go far enough, that it's, you know, Newsom wants package. to see it more as an overall, yeah. you know, strategy that he slowly works on throughout his first first I say in quotation marks four years rather than one thing out the gate yeah so that's interesting I mean I I wonder though part of the reason why they were even able to get anything done in 2017 is because the fact that you know it was a pack it was a group of laws that were bills that were together so groups that may not like say um, uh, permit streamlining or um, changes to the California Environmental Quality Act or whatever were able to be brought on board by the fact that there was you know an affordable housing bond or all these sorts of things that that sort of take care of some of their other issues and so I just wonder in in the abstract it's hard to do rent control it's hard to do a revival of redevelopment it's hard to do a revival of what Senator Weiner wanted to do last year with with SBA 20 I just wonder, unless you put these things together, how do you actually come to consensus of getting some of this stuff passed? You know I think I mean? the insight, I think the difference there is that that package was being driven by the legislature and yeah. Governor Brown said, basically, don't give me anything that's going to piss me off. Right. And I think what we're seeing here is the same rhetoric that, or not, if it's not even rhetoric, it's the same message that Newsom has had on health care. He is going to bring this into the horseshoe. So he is going to... So the governor's office. Exactly. Yeah. And he, so he is going to steer this conversation. He doesn't need to author or he doesn't need to lead every conversation but he is definitely going to be the one saying yes or no on the things that the legislature brings him so similar to health care where he said he's going to bring that into the governor's office in a way that uh governor brown never did with mm. health care or housing and so mm-hmm. i think that newsom's gonna um sort of be a 
you know, a, a an intermediary uh, and to say, you know, him him simply talking about housing and saying that housing is a priority, I think is going to be a green light for a lot of lawmakers to come with him, to him for, with some very ambitious proposals. And as long as he sees eye to eye with people like David Chu and Senator Weiner, who have appeared with um, side by side with him at many campaign events, I think he's going to say, yeah, let's do it. If you put yourself in Newsom's shoes, like politically, a housing package is a huge lift. And the benefits of whatever gets passed, as we've seen with the 2017 housing package, right. you're not going to see um, for, quite for, for quite some time. Yeah. As opposed to maybe something like universal pre-K, which is going to be a lift too, but maybe slightly less complicated than everything that goes in goes into a housing package politically, well, right? more immediate returns. And more immediate returns. So right. I, could, I could definitely see from that perspective why it's like, why? It's also, it's, yeah. Also, yeah. it's also, I mean, some have said and have voiced that the, you know, the housing package of 2017 didn't go far enough. And so there right. is an argument to say, oh, if, you know, if you work on this package, on a broader package, you have to compromise and you have to reach deals and you perhaps can't go as far as you would have liked. I mean, we saw that with the housing bond. Um, we saw, you know, they wanted um, some some Democratic lawmakers wanted nine billion. And so I think there is a point of view that you can do a lot more with um, individual pieces of legislation. Yeah, it's interesting. Interesting. Interesting, too, that like, you know, the things that we're talking about Newsom wanting to throw his shoulder into were not things that Jerry Brown wanted to throw his shoulder into and things that Brown did throw his shoulder into at climate change most specifically, at least in the time that I've been here. And I think all of us have been here. Um, you know, there were deals that were done or laws that were passed that did not look, you know, promising at certain points in the outset. Right. I mean, you know, getting two thirds to extend cap and trade, a thing that um, people I just at the beginning did not seem like what like it was a possibility really and so him throwing his weight in there um you know if you have someone a governor who sets a priority for doing areas that are different him throwing the shoulder in those things could mean that whereas before you couldn't get you know a committee vote for costa hawkins reform mm -hmm. or um zoning reform then with that shoulder from the governor then that 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 pushes yeah. things forward right i'm i'm curious what you think his relationship with the legislature is gonna is gonna be like? I mean, there were a lot of people, and I think still are, who are concerned about his relationships with the legislature. I mean, we saw uh, Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon a few months back say that there's gonna be more leeway for him and um, Senate Leader Tony Atkins to take a more aggressive role as leaders of both houses. Um, however, it's also really interesting to watch Newsom on the campaign trail. And so we saw him campaigning for, um, you know, legislative candidates who have picked up leads, Melissa Hurtado, um, others up and down in the Central Valley. And um, we also saw him campaign for um, some of the House candidates, by the way, who have taken leads like Josh Harder and Katie Hill. And so I think we're starting to see him build these legislative relationships. And it's going to be, um, I think that it's going to be interesting to watch those develop. I think him campaigning for those down ballot races shows that he understands that he needs to build these relationships. And I, and I also would point out that whenever he's asked this question, he brings up Tony Atkins and how collaboratively, and that's his term, they have worked together in the past. I believe she was on the San Diego City Council, yes. is that right, when yes. he was mayor of San Francisco? Yes. And he talks about that, how they've worked together on homelessness in particular, and how um, he has said he is so excited and can't wait to, to, to work with her. He does not say that same thing about Rendon. It's not to say he says the opposite, but he says nothing like that. Mm about Rendon. So I think he and Tony Atkins see eye to eye on a lot of issues in this area. And so that'll be something to watch. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder, get your take on this. Um, how much of the housing um, uh, issue will be wrapped up in the tax issue or will that be separate? So we have for, for background, we have a ballot measure coming in, in 2020. It's qualified uh, to do Proposition 13 split roll, charge sort of uh, higher taxes on commercial properties, uh, higher property taxes on commercial properties, and, and sort of keep the Prop 13 restrictions on, on homes as they are. Um, but Prop 13 obviously has a huge role in um, in sort of uh, incentives for how housing gets approved or not in the state. And I just wonder, um, 
again, how much of these housing conversations do you think will be fit into the larger tax conversation that you think that seems to be ready and, and ready to go in the, le- in the legislature and in the government, or how much of it will be separate? I think that the tax conversation is going to overshadow everything. Um, for example, when asked how he's going to finance something very expensive like single payer health care system, which would you know, require huge tax increases and cost an estimated $400 billion a year, the first thing he says is we can't do anything until we have a conversation about tax reform. And so I think that he is looking at that um, through a prism in which to you know, pay for some of his big high profile promises. Um, and if he doesn't, if he isn't looking at it as a specifically as a revenue source, he sees it as the first thing to do um, right out the gate. And I think mm. he, I mean, the similar conversation, the similar thing he says about you can't have a conversation about, um, I hate to keep bringing this back to healthcare and a conversation about housing, but it's really, there's a lot of parallels there. You know, you can't have a conversation about how to, um, reform healthcare and and pay for new healthcare things without first having conversation about taxes. So I think, you know, the same is true for for the housing conversation in California. So taxes first. Well, but there's a reason though that like yeah, there's a reason that taxes have not been on the table, and that's it's, because that's not going to be an easy thing to do. No one has been able. I mean, right? There's huge winners and losers, and the losers are going to scream um, that their taxes are being raised, and and no one wants to to deal with that. Yeah, right? and he so, he yeah. has he has spoken directly to that, and yeah. he has acknowledged that it. You know, he throw it sort of throws up his hands and and says, I know. You know, no one's been able to do this. I know it's the, you know, the the pink elephant in the room. But he says you can't have these bigger conversations without first having that conversation. So, again, something that is going to be watching him, watching who he appoints to lead these efforts and, and you know, the, the steps that he takes to roll them out is going to be really imperative to watch. All right. Okay. Well, well thank you so much, Angela. Yeah. Thanks again, Angela. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the award-nominated Housing Crisis Michelle. Podcast. I'm Matt Levin, dad and housing journalist with Cal Matters. You can find me on Twitter at M11Reports. Liam Dillon, LA Times. I am also on Twitter at Dylan Liam. Uh, thanks again for listening. <laughs>